some of you know in here, uh, I grew up 20 miles north of Little Rock, Arkansas, in Conway. And last spring, central Arkansas was rocked by a massive tornado that moved through the area, made national news. And the two towns that were hit the hardest bordered my hometown of Conway. They were Bologna and Mayflower, Arkansas. And though I know a lot of people in this area and I have family in this area, none of them were hit too hard, but many of their friends and family lost everything. Here's a few pictures up on the screen that were taken this last spring. Wow, was right. Something. As you can see, it's just a terrible, terrible tragedy. As I was following the reports on the news that week, one story that made national news that was extremely tragic was a story about a husband and wife who on top of losing their home lost both of their boys. In one report I read, it said this, while sheltered beneath a mattress in their bathtub, Daniel and April Smith had their house ripped from its foundation, and though they miraculously survived, their two sons that were with them died. Tyler, who was seven, and Cameron, who was nine. It's just a an extremely tragic, terribly sad story. And unfortunately, stories like these are are not all that uncommon, are they? Though we wish that they were, they're not. As we read the paper and watch the news, we read about and witness these types of tragedies almost on a daily basis. And when these types of tragedies happen, when these things happen, a question that many of us often ask is, why? Why do these things happen? And where is God in all of this? Where was he on April 27th when tornadoes swept through central Arkansas? What was God doing on that night? Was he even at work at all? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, yes, that is a book in the Bible. You can find it by looking in your table of contents, or if you can find the books of Nahum or Zephaniah, it's sandwiched between those two books. In this book, the prophet and author Habakkuk is asking these exact questions same kinds of questions. Times are are tough in Habakkuk's day, and he too is crying out to God and wondering where God is and what God is up to. And we're going to discover from this book this morning some biblical principles on what we are to do and how we should respond when times are tough. But before we get into this book and discuss these points, let me just take a a, a few moments just to uh, tell you a little bit about the context surrounding this prophet and this book. As many of you know, 
After the period of the judges in the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, decided that they wanted to be like the rest of the nations and wanted an earthly king to rule over them. And so God first appoints King Saul as king. And though Saul did a good job militarily, he did a very poor job morally and spiritually. So he was eventually replaced by David. God promised David that his kingdom would be established forever. And though you know and I know, who can read this story with New Testament eyes, we know that's eventually fulfilled in Christ, right? It looked like early on that would be the case with David. Because after David came Solomon, David's son, who took power. And then after Solomon, there was Rehoboam, who took the throne. But as we've learned already, it was during Solomon's son's reign that the kingdom of Israel is divided in two. During his reign, ten of the twelve tribes went north, forming the northern kingdom of Israel. And two of the twelve tribes stay in the south, and they form the southern kingdom of Judah. And after the split... Both nations struggled morally, the north more than the south, and they fell first to Assyria. And a short time after that, shortly after this book, the book of Habakkuk is written, the southern kingdom falls as well to Babylon. So Habakkuk is written after the fall of the northern kingdom and right before the fall of the southern kingdom. And it's written during one of the lowest points in the nation's history. It's not a good time to be a Jew, and we're going to study the response of this faithful prophet during these very unfaithful times in God's people's history. And as we look at this response here, we are going to learn how we, as God's people, are to respond when the going gets tough. When times are tough, we're going to learn from Habakkuk how we are to respond. Notice number one, first point is this, when times are tough, we are to first be honest with God. Be honest with God. Look at chapter one, verse one. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Notice this book begins with a complaint. Habakkuk is not happy. He is not happy here. He is is crying out to God and complaining to him. He's saying, how long, O Lord, shall I cry out to you for help? 
He says, why do you stand idly by and look on while sin continues, while your people continue in sin? Why are you allowing this wickedness to go unpunished? Notice here, Habakkuk is fed up with his people and their wickedness. He is God's appointed prophet during these dark days and he is put out with God's people. He's put out with their wickedness and he is wanting, desperately wanting God to respond. Notice how bad things have gotten in Judah. Habakkuk says the law is paralyzed. Though God had given them his laws to live by, they were living as if there were no laws. God's laws were paralyzed. They had little to no impact on his people. He says, when I look at the behavior of those around me, all I see is injustice and evil and destruction and violence and immorality. And I'm wanting to know why you, God, are allowing this activity to go on unpunished. Now, Be honest with me for a minute. When you first read this and hear this, how many of you are a bit uncomfortable with the way in which Habakkuk is addressing God here? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, he's being pretty bold and daring here, isn't he? Well, let me ask you this. Is the way Habakkuk talks to God here okay? What do you think? Yeah, you see, we learn here and elsewhere that it is. First, notice that the prophet expresses a righteous anger here toward the wickedness of his people. We know that's honoring to God, don't we? We're told in his word that it is God wants us to be imitators of him. And one way to do this is by loving what he loves and hating that which he hates. God loves that which is holy, that which is righteous, that which is just, that which is good, and he hates that which is immoral and wicked and evil. So we know Habakkuk's heart is in the right place. We also learn here, like we do elsewhere, that the one true God of the Scriptures, unlike the false gods of Habakkuk's day and false gods of our day, he is a personal God who wants to have a close, intimate relationship with his people. And two important components to a healthy relationship is honesty and trust. God wants us to exhibit both in our relationship with him. He wants us to come to him and be honest with him. And he also wants for us to trust in him. And we're going to discuss trust here in just a moment. But notice here, Habakkuk begins by being extremely honest with God. He is honestly expressing the fact that God seems absent as if he is standing idly by while his people violate his laws and sin against him. And Habakkuk is crying out to God here, asking why God does not make his presence known and punish the wicked. Listen, folks, this is key. God wants us to come to him like Habakkuk does here. That's why we're given the lament psalms. Remember when we studied through the psalms? We said the psalms teach us how we're to approach God in every season of life. 
And the lament psalms address God in this way, the way Habakkuk does. God wants us to come to him and be honest to him and cry out to him when it feels as if he is removed from us. When times are tough, when God seems absent, he doesn't want us to come to him with this scripted, fake dialogue that doesn't reflect how we actually feel because he knows how we feel. And he wants us to express it, be honest with him. He wants us to come to him in an honest and real and raw, yet get this, reverent and biblical way and wants us to cry out to him when it seems as if he is removed from us. This is the first key principle here. When times get tough, we need to first be honest with God. We need to go to him. We need to cry out to him, be honest with him. It's imperative that we approach him in this way. The second thing you're to do when the going gets tough is this. Number two, prepare yourself for God's answer. That's key as well. Now let's think about what's happened so far in this book. In verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, Habakkuk is crying out to God. He's saying, how long, God, are you going to stand idly by and do nothing while your people openly and blatantly violate your laws and sin against you? And in verse 5, we have God's response. Look at what he says. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a.k.a. the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves." And the NIV translates verse 7, they are a law to themselves. Now we learned with Judah, they had the law of God, right? But the law had become paralyzed. They had stopped living by God's law. But here we learn the Babylonians didn't even have that. They didn't have the law of God. They were a law to themselves. They were living in accordance with, with what they thought was right. They did that which was right in their own eyes. They were very similar to the nation of Assyria that we talked about in Jonah and Nahum. They were evil. And that's why God says to Habakkuk, you're not going to believe this, Habakkuk. You're not going to believe what I'm going to do. He says in verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians to come against my people. God says, I'm going to raise up Babylon as evil as as they are, and I'm going to use them to punish my people, Israel. God is going to use evil to punish evil. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the book of Nahum, remember? We talked about the fact that though God did not create evil, though he is not the author of evil, he definitely allows it and he certainly uses it to accomplish his purposes. And we also discussed that this truth is at the center, it's at the heart of the gospel message. Though we're told that that Jesus was delivered up and handed over and was crucified at the hands of lawless men, all of this took place in accordance with the divine plan of God. We're told in Isaiah 53, it was the will of God to crush his son. 
So this truth, it's at the heart of the gospel message. God uses good men. God uses wicked men. God uses all types of men, bad and good, and those in between to accomplish his purposes. And we see that here. God clearly states here he is going to use Babylon to punish his wicked people. Now, how do you think Habakkuk felt about that answer? You think he was satisfied with that? You think he liked that? He wanted God to clean up the mess in Judah. But do you think he was happy about the fact that God was going to use the Babylonians to do it? Now, he wasn't happy with that at all, was he? Let me put things into perspective for you just for a minute, for those of y'all being too hard on Habakkuk. Let me give you his perspective. Tell me this. How many of you are burdened by many of the wicked things going on in our nation today? Raise your hand. How many of you? Hopefully, all of you are. Yeah, that's right. Well, let me ask you this. How would you feel if you were praying that God would make things right here if you were crying out for God, and hopefully you are, to do a work here, and God responds by saying, you know what, I'm going to do a work in your country. What I'm going to do is I'm going to punish the evils in the U.S., and I'm going to use Iran, or I'm going to use North Korea to do it, or some other wicked nation. How would you feel? Now you have the perspective of Habakkuk. The fact that God was going to use this wicked nation to punish his nation, that floored him, and that would us as well. Notice his response. At first he says, God, why would you allow evil in Judah? And God responds with, I'm going to take care of that evil by raising up Babylon to punish my people. And notice how Habakkuk responds in chapter 1, verse 13 to that news. He says, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? See, Habakkuk is shocked by God's response. He says, why would you, a holy and righteous God who cannot look upon evil, use a wicked nation like Babylon to come against your people? and punish them. He says, we may be bad, but God, let's be honest, they're horrible. This doesn't make sense. We've all been there as well, right? Maybe not to the extent that Habakkuk was, but we've been there. How many of you have ever prayed for something and the answer you received is not what you expected, not what you wanted? Anybody? Yeah, that's right. Oftentimes, we're not satisfied with the answers to our prayers unless God answers them in the time we want them answered and the way we want them answered. Isn't that right? We at times can be like our kids. My kids are this way. I love them to death, but, but at times they have what they want in their minds and they are not happy unless dad gives them exactly what they want when they want it. And at times, Leslie and I will say, listen, we love y'all a bunch. We love doing things for you, but you're not calling the shots. Dad and mom know what's best. We have reasons for why we do what we do. And you may not understand that, but we're the parents and you're not. Guess what? At times, that's God's response to us. It is. Though he invites us to cry out to him, though he wants for us to be honest with him, he also wants us to be prepared for his answer. And like it or not, folks, at times the answer 
from his word is because I'm God and you're not. That's it. That was the case with Job, wasn't it? Remember Job? Job was a righteous man. God allows Satan to come against him, remove everything that is precious in Job's life. And Job gets to the point where he's at his wit's end and he's crying out to God. He's being honest with him. You remember how God responds? Look at it up here on the screen. Job 38, 1 through 4. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I'll question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Wow. Checkmate, right? God basically says here, instead of you questioning me, Job, let me question you for a moment. Where were you when I created the world? Tell me that, if you understand that. Tell me that, Job. Answer that for me. God's putting Job in his place here, isn't he? He says, my ways are above your ways. I'm God and you aren't. And I've created all that is. That includes you. I have a plan, a plan much bigger than you. And you're just going to have to rest in the fact that I'm in control, that I'm the beginning in the end, that I see all things perfectly and am working things, all things in accordance with my plan. You're going to have to rest in the fact that that's true of me. I'm God and you're not. That's it. So though God wants us, To be honest with him, he wants us to relate to him in a raw and real yet reverent and biblical way. He also wants us to be prepared for his response. And at times his response is, because I'm God and you aren't. And this leads us right into our third point. And this is really the main point of the book here. In this book, we learn that when the going gets tough, we are to be honest with God We're to prepare ourselves for his answer, but we're also to live by faith. Live by faith. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's a key verse in the book here. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The righteous shall live by his faith. This is the key passage in the book, and this is referenced several different times in the New Testament. But what does it mean here? How does it fit contextually in Habakkuk? Well, let's first briefly summarize once again what's happened so far in this book. You should get this book by the time you leave here today with all these summaries. This book begins with Habakkuk crying out to God, complaining to him. He says, God, why are you allowing evil in Judah? And God responds with, I'm going to take care of the evil in Judah, and I'm going to use Babylon to do it. And Habakkuk says, Babylon, why would you use Babylon? They're worse than we are. Why would you use them to punish us? And God gives Habakkuk this response here in Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at it beginning in verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. 
For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Here the Lord gives Habakkuk a glimpse into the future and he tells him what I'm doing here Habakkuk it's bigger than you it's it's bigger than your story it's bigger than my people Judah and you just need to wait and trust in me and in what I am doing I have appointed a day and I have appointed a time when I'm going to take care of these things I'm going to make things right I'm going to right all that my people have wronged by their sin notice God tells Habakkuk, write this down. Put it down. Make it clear. He's saying, mark my words, Habakkuk. This day is coming. Though now it seems as if I'm absent. Though it seems as if I am not in control. I am very much in control. He says, though it seems slow to you. He says, this time, this day that I have appointed will surely come. What you're to do until that time is you're to wait and trust and live by faith. You're to trust in me. You're to trust in my word. You're to trust in my promises. And you are to live by faith. That's what God is calling for Habakkuk to do here. And he goes on to give him further words of encouragement. Look at it, verse 14. God says, for the earth will be That's a definite there, folks. Will be in that appointed day filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God says to Habakkuk here, there's coming a day when people are going to see me for who I am. And in that day, those who are arrogant and prideful, those who are a law to themselves or live with my law suspended, they will be put in their place. But the righteous, those who are right with me, those who look to me, those who are right with me, those who trust in me, those who live by faith, those people will be vindicated, God says. They will be made right with me in that day. He's giving a promise of a future salvation, future glory when he is revealed, when he is seen. But again, God says in verses 2 through 4, until that day, until that time comes, be patient, trust in me, live by faith. Folks, that's what faith is. Did you know that? Faith is patiently trusting in what God has promised. That's what faith is. That's what God is calling for with Habakkuk here in chapter 2. Now, this is easier said than done, isn't it? Many of you know as well as I do that when the going gets tough, it's tough to patiently trust in what God has promised. When the going gets tough, it is tough to live by faith. And one of the reasons why is because when the going gets tough, the enemy begins to tempt us to worry and to take matters into our own hands and question God's hand and question his work and question his concern over us. But it's during these trying and difficult times that God calls for us to patiently trust in who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do and to live by faith in him. 
when I was at my parents' house over Christmas, I noticed a plaque sitting out in their home that says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. How comforting is that truth? So very true. You know, there are so many uncertainties in this life, so many things we don't know. But listen, how reassuring is it to know the God who knows? Boy, that helps me sleep at night. We should be the most optimistic people on the planet. Do you know that, believers? Because we belong to the one who holds tomorrow. That should help you sleep at night, regardless of the circumstances. So when times are uncertain, when when times are tough, God wants us to simply look to him and patiently trust in what he's promised. That's it. We're to be honest with him. We're to be prepared for his answer. We're to live by faith. And fourth and finally, when the going gets tough, we're to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Okay, one more time, let's summarize. Things are bad in the southern kingdom of Judah. They have hit rock bottom morally, and Habakkuk cries out to God, and and he asks, why, God, are you allowing this wickedness to continue? And God responds by telling Habakkuk that he is going to use the Babylonians to punish the wickedness of his people. And Habakkuk responds with, God, why are you going to use Babylon? They're worse than we are. And then God responds back to Habakkuk in this way. He says, listen, Though things are not happening exactly the way you want it to, in your timing, be patient, trust in me. I have appointed a day when those who trust in me and who remain faithful to me will be vindicated while the wicked and the unrepentant are going to get what's coming to them. But the righteous are to live by faith, patiently trusting in what I have promised. Well, in response to that, Habakkuk prays. Chapter 3, we have his prayer recorded for us, and it's actually meant to be sung. This is a psalm from Habakkuk. It says at the end of chapter 3, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So in response to God's promise in chapter 2, Habakkuk records for us this psalm, this prayer, this praise, this song. And notice what he says. You can read it later on. It's in your spiritual growth guide, but skip on down to verse 16. Listen to Habakkuk's response to God's promise. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Mm. Those circumstances were not great for Habakkuk. Notice how he responds. He basically says, even though things stink right now, I'm putting Habakkuk in my words, okay? 
Though things stink right now, though it seems as if God is absent, as if, if he's just standing by watching this wickedness continue, Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Folks, this is what it looks like right here to live by faith. It means rejoicing in the Lord because of who he is and because of what he's done and because of what he is going to do. It's saying even with all the dangers in the world today and all the uncertainties in our nation, I'll rejoice in the Lord. It's saying even when natural disasters hit like tornadoes and tsunamis and floods and fires that that devastate towns and cities and claim the lives of many, I will rejoice in the Lord. That's what it means to live by faith. People who have this mentality, they, they say this, no matter what happens in life, I will rejoice in the Lord because I know he's in control and I know what he's done and I know what he's promised to do in the future. That's faith. It's not wishful thinking. It's not blind trust. It's believing in the God who is. It's believing in what he has done and believing wholeheartedly in what he's going to do in the future. Those of you here this morning who are not living in this way, not living by faith, let me take a moment to share with you who God is and what he will do someday soon, just in case you don't know. Scripture is clear that God has created all that is, but of all the things he created, he made us in his image to live in relationship with him. He created us with authority over his created world, but he also created us to live under his divine authority and to live in relationship with him. But you know what we did as a result of that? We rebelled against him. We turned away from him. We set ourselves against God. And as a result of that, God set himself against us. And you know what? God could have remained removed from us. He could have remained set against us. He could have said, I've had it with man. He could have washed his hands of us, but he didn't. Instead, he sent us his son, God the Son, to become one of us, to live for us, to endure the punishment reserved for us because of our sin so that we through him could be brought back into a right relationship with God. Though Christ has accomplished this great work, though we're now able, when we trust in him, to be freed from sin and death, we know we're not yet where we need to be, right? Believers, we know that. There's an already not yet aspect to our salvation. But you know what scripture also tells us? Scripture tells us that there's a day coming soon when Christ is returning. He's going to complete the work. This great work that he began in us, he is going to complete it. He is going to redeem us completely. And he's also going to redeem and restore this broken and fallen world. But if you're here today and you're not trusting in him, before you can experience this work, before you can have this hope of a future redemption in Christ, you must first place your faith and trust in Christ today. John 3.36, John the Baptist spells it out for us pretty clearly. Listen to this. He says, whoever believes in the Son 
has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. If you're here this morning and you are not living by faith, if Christ is not your Lord, the wrath of God remains on you. But I've got good news for you. That can change today. If your allegiance would change from yourself to the Savior, then right here, right now, today, you can be made complete. You can be redeemed. You can be saved from sin and death, and you can have this great future hope. If you've never made that decision, I pray you would today. Let's pray.